tree and every stone Every rushing wind that moans They sing your praise My God, they sing your praise Every star and open sky Tell of your glory divine they shout your praise They shout your praise yeah. You've stolen my heart Yes, you have You've stolen my heart Yes, you have You've wiped away the stains And broke away the chains Yes, you have Your love, you set me free. Three nails gave me liberty, so I'll sing your praise. My God, I'll sing your praise. Oh, with your love, you forgave my sin. Forgot my past and brought me back again. So I'll sing your praise. I'll sing your praise. Yeah, you've stolen my heart. Yes, you have. You've stolen my heart. Yes, you have. You wiped away the stains and broke away the chains. Yes, you have. If I ascend into the sky or hide behind the night, I cannot run, your love is chasing me. If I fall into the sea, your hand will rescue me. No one will take your place because this is all for you. Yes, this is all. the world you're the king of the world oh you're the king of the world and you're the king of the world you're the king of the world you've stolen my heart yes you have you've stolen Father, we pray that you would wake us up and help us to worship, help us to preach, because you have broken the chains. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh, no.
understand the predicament but there is something that you should know we are uh, we're getting married who is, who is getting married? you and i you and i are getting married yes we are getting married we are getting married. yes can't fight a, can't fight a love like ours so uh uh are we good make it all legal and we'll put this whole thing behind us <laughs> can, can you can you imagine that getting married for the wrong reason I mean, that's, that's crazy. Can you imagine coming to worship uh, for the wrong reason? Just because you, maybe you had to, or you thought that it was the law, or because you just wanted God's stuff? You know, like you wanted citizenship in his country, or his kingdom. Imagine uh, coming to worship just because you wanted God's stuff, but not because you want a God. Can you imagine that? Well, I'm not sure that we can imagine anything really other than that so much of the time. And maybe that's okay for a time. I mean, maybe God starts with our bad motives because those are the only motives that he has. Richard Rohr writes, the great and merciful surprise is that we come to God not by doing it right, but by doing it wrong. I mean, perhaps God begins with our bad motives because that's all that we have to offer. And when we finally do offer our bad motives, that's the very place that we discover grace, God's motive. In Hebrew, chesed, steadfast love or covenant love. Well, I never saw that movie, The Proposal. Did you, any of you see it? Yeah, I didn't see it because I didn't think I, I needed to. Because once you saw the trailer, you knew exactly what was gonna happen. Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds are gonna go through all the motions with bad motives. I mean, greed, lust, and fear. And by going through the, mo- through the, by going through the, the motions, their bad motives are gonna turn into good motives, right? I mean, fake love will turn into real love and they'll actually fall in love. Hesed, covenant love, steadfast love. Social scientists refer to that as the principle of praxis. It's the idea that a person can know the truth through experience, through practice, before they develop an intellectual belief system capable of understanding that truth. So Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds 
come to know something by going through the motions uh, before they process, that, process that, that something with their brains. They, they come to know something with their hearts even before it makes sense to their heads. Blaise Pascal, the great 17th century philosopher, mathematician, said that the heart has reasons that reason cannot, cannot know, can never know. That is, the heart can know truth long before the head can explain it. Like your heart can hear music long before your head can explain it, long before you can break the harmonies down into notes on a page, because you know music is thoroughly logical, harmonic oscillations and, and complex math. In fact, it's so logical, we can't comprehend the logic, just experience the logic and surrender to the logic. That is, you can't explain it, but you can dance to it. When you surrender your heart to it, when your heart has reasons that your own reason does not know, I think we often call that falling in love, falling in love. What if coming to Christ and growing in faith is less like solving a problem and more like falling in love. And what if God set the world up that way on purpose because he's not a problem to be solved so much as a person longing to be loved? And if that's the case and Growing in faith is like falling in love. Perhaps we should spend less time trying to argue ourselves into the kingdom of God and more time going on dates and waiting for the fire to fall. Kind of like this. This summer. How can you be around someone that made your life so miserable? Sweetie, honey. Some proposals change you. Why don't you get married here tomorrow? Let's see a kiss. I'm just doing it with us. For better or worse. You were a real kiss. Do you see that? Do you see the spark? Did you see it? The fake kiss turned into a real kiss. My wife and daughter saw the movie, of course, um, and. Uh, <laughs> They confirmed what I suspected. The fake proposal turns into a real proposal called a covenant. A fake kiss turned into a real kiss for, for it burned with holy fire. I wonder if fake worship could turn into real worship. Proskuneo is the Greek word for worship. It literally means to kiss. Well, if you've been married for a while, you know that the fire doesn't always fill the temple. <laughs> I mean by that, that uh, the, the passion that you had at first in your marriage covenant uh, well, it can disappear. Your covenant can come to feel like empty ritual devoid of the drama, the romance, and the passion that it had at first. Fulton Orsler wrote of that passion and something that supposedly happened one evening years ago at the Cafe Royale in London, he writes this. An army officer, just home from the wars, was dining alone 
He noticed a beautiful woman seated alone at a nearby table, not much more than 40, beautiful, so feminine, so lovely, and attired in such discreet and exquisite style. Why would she be dining alone, he wondered. A moment later, he noticed a man being seated at another table nearby. This newcomer was a tall, well-knit man with iron gray hair. At once, the man noticed the lonely lady, so near and yet so far. The look of admiration that flashed into his eyes was unmistakable. Quietly, he called the waiter, ordered dinner, and then borrowed the waiter's pencil. Tearing a sheet of paper from a notebook, he wrote a message, folded it, and gave it to the waiter. The note was carried directly to the lady. She showed no visible sign of surprise whatsoever, but with a sweet composure, opened the note and read it. Then she folded it, thrust it to one side, and with merely a lift of her eyebrows, dismissed the waiter without any reply at all. The officer in the corner sighed to himself. Good try, he thought. What a shame. He watched the gentleman attack his dinner, roast beef, Yorkshire pudding. The lady, meanwhile, teased a lamb chop dressed in those little paper pantalettes. After a time, the tall gentleman paid his bill, stood up for a moment, let sad eyes linger on the unresponsive lady, and then he crossed over to her table. He crossed over to her table. He bent low and whispered a few words. She stared at him blankly and made no sound, even when the tall gentleman pulled out a chair and sat down beside her. Still, she said not a word to him. The waiter brought the lady's bill. The gentleman reached for it, but with an imperious gesture, she stopped him, leaving a pound note in the waiter's hand. She rose and her, her visitor stood up too. He stood up with her. He followed her out into the spring night and the observer in the corner never saw them again. He turned to the waiter, chuckling, as he said, this is a fine sort of thing. Flirtations going on in a fine restaurant like this. Then he noticed the waiter's face. The light in the man's eyes was like a prayer. Ah, sir, monsieur, he said. I don't know if he was French, but he should have been. <laughs> he said, you do not understand. What you have seen tonight is a great love. This is the 26th time that I have seen it. I saw it happen the very first time. That was how it began. 26 years ago at those very same tables, I served them both that night as I did tonight. With one glance, they fell in love. I carried the note to her then, and when she didn't answer, he got up and he came over anyhow. He was that smitten with her. And God bless them both. He is still that smitten with her and she with him. Every year on the anniversary of their very first meeting, they come here and go through the whole drama again. <laughs> and may their love never, never, never die. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, we were dining alone. God sent a note wrapped in flesh. He crossed over and he paid the bill. He laid it on the table and he said, do this as often as you drink of it and eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, if we just do this whole thing, it's empty ritual. But if we do this in remembrance of him, the fire will fall. 
I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, Jesus tells the church in Ephesus in the Revelation. The church in Ephesus is bride. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. I know your works, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember them from what you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Rituals. For 26 years, that couple in the restaurant had been doing the things they did at first. And the sanctuary of their covenant was full of fire. Even more fire than it had at first. We know that we call our church the sanctuary. It's a sanctuary of a covenant in which we celebrate a sacrament. You know, the very first sanctuary was a tent called a tabernacle. God commanded Moses to build it about 3,300 years ago. He gave him elaborate instructions regarding the priesthood, the rituals, the sacrifices, and the offerings. And on the day that Moses consecrated the tabernacle, fire broke out from the Lord upon the sacrifices and consumed them completely. Every night, that pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness, it would come to rest over the tabernacle, a a pillar of fire from heaven down to earth. And there, every night, Moses would meet with the Lord. 300 years later on Mount Moriah, King David offered sacrifices to the Lord. And fire broke out from heaven, came down and consumed the sacrifices. Happens every now and then in the Old Testament. Well, on that spot, David decides to build the temple, the sanctuary of stone. But God tells David that it won't be David. It will be a son of David that will, in fact, build his sanctuary. In 1 Chronicles 28, David charges Solomon with that task. Two years ago, one night in August, I was reading 1 Chronicles in bed. Don't read it yet. Read it in a second. And uh, I was reading it before I went to sleep. And as I was reading, uh, which is something I do every 40 years or so, read First Chronicles, I read chapter 28. And, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, there's something here that I'm not giving. So I, I read it again and I still couldn't get it. And I remember uh, finally laying it down and thinking, you know, I'm gonna have to read this later, but I bet there's something in here that's important for me. The next morning I received an email from a young woman that I did not know at the time, but now as a friend here at the sanctuary, Danette Priest wrote this. Peter, I know that you can get discouraged. And I know that you are facing some matters with the heads of the church, but don't lose hope. First Chronicles 28:20. David also said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord, the sanctuary, is finished. The divisions of priests and Levites are ready for all the work of the temple of God, and every willing man skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. Well, at the time, I was just amazed because that was the very verse that I had read the night before and couldn't get. But if I would have known then what I now know now, what was about to happen, I would have been even more amazed for the heads of the church were angry with me because I was singing a song and I wouldn't stop. I didn't think I could stop. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The steadfast love of the Lord, hesed, endures forever. You know that last phrase is repeated something like 44 times in Scripture. I think it is the most repeated phrase in all of the Bible. And so according to Scripture, the proud come to an end. Did you know that? You can read that in Scripture. The evil of the wicked comes to an end. God's fury and God's wrath come to an end. In fact, the ages, even time, chronos itself comes to an end. But the steadfast love of the Lord that is the Lord never ends, for it is the end. Jesus said, I am the beginning and the end. So death, darkness, evil, and Hades do not do not get the last word. Jesus is the last word. He's God's word. God's word that crossed over, paid the bill, all the bill, paid the bill, gave himself to us and for us, his bride. Shortly after Danette sent me that Bible verse, a man in Australia sent me a vision. He said he saw a beautiful vase, suddenly, violently shattered, and then with the broken pieces, we formed a picture of Jesus with broken pieces, like puzzle pieces. Remember, two weeks ago? Like puzzle pieces or living stones. Well, in Second Chronicles 5, Solomon finishes building the stone temple, okay? And the priests bring the Ark of the Covenant into the sanctuary, then verse 11. And when the priests came out of the holy place, the sanctuary, the inner sanctuary, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Herman, or Heman, and Judithan, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song, the, when the song, when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever that's the song that they sing they'll sing it again 500 years when Ezra rebuilds the temple for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever when they sing that song the house the house of the Lord the sanctuary was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God and then Solomon Solomon offers this blessing upon the people this amazing prayer that in chapter 7 verse 1 we read this as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. His love endures forever. Because he is forever. 
and he is love, and God is love. God is love, and our God is a consuming fire, and God is one. Song of Solomon 8, 6. Love is strong as death. Its flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. Love that never ends is fire that cannot be quenched. The very presence of God. So you see, they sing about the love that endures forever. And then all at once they're flooded with the love that endures forever. The fake things sing about the real thing and the real thing floods the fake thing. They worship and the fake kiss becomes the real kiss. They prepare the offering and the fire falls. In fact, the fire is so intense that Solomon's priests could not stand the glory and they're driven from the sanctuary. Nonetheless, for a thousand years, for one millennium, God commands his people to worship in the sanctuary, the temple. A thousand years, even though they did not understand what it meant. I mean, talk about praxis, right? Talk about your heart having reasons that that your reason does not uh, understand. Think of it, for a thousand years they offered sacrifice. Every day, fire and sacrificial lambs. Their minds couldn't explain it, but their hearts knew it. Communion with God involved body broken and bloodshed. At Passover, the Kidron Valley was literally a river of lamb's blood, while the choir of Levites would sing the Hillel, ending with Psalm 118 in this line, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so their hearts knew that steadfast love encountering this world involves pain. They knew that love is a sacrifice, and yet love is like light in darkness. Love is a fire that consumes, purifies, and nourishes. Love is a feast of life, even ecstasy. For they were commanded to feast on the roast lamb in the sanctuary of the Lord. Eighty days of commanded feasting in ancient Israel, and one day of commanded fasting. That was the day of atonement. I believe that we now celebrate that day on Easter. A thousand years of ritual. A thousand years of liturgy. Some members of a synagogue came to their rabbi to complain. The great uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel. They told him that the liturgy did not express what they felt. And they told, and he told them that it was not for the liturgy to express what they felt. It was for them to feel what the liturgy expressed. For a thousand years, Israel learned to feel what the liturgy expressed. And then they met what the liturgy expressed. And even then, they could barely stand it. In fact, they did not stand it. Like Solomon's priests, they could not stand when God's glory entered the temple. Even the temple could not stand. Through Malachi, Uh, The last uh, book in the Old Testament, the last prophet uh, in, in the Old Testament, God says to his people, and I believe he says directly to us, the Lord whom you seek, 
will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. John the Baptist tells us that he will baptize us with fire. And who can stand? Well, we can stand. The church can stand. It happened on Pentecost Sunday in Acts chapter two. Remember? They were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributed and resting on each, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And they were not driven from the house, because you see, God had made them his own house. The fire descended and filled the temple of flesh called the body of Christ. It had been a dead body, But when the fire fell, it began to dance. It began to worship, real worship, in spirit and in truth. You see, Jesus is the Lord who suddenly comes to his temple. Jesus is the covenant. His spirit is the refining fire. Jesus is the light in the darkness, the life of God given to us, the love of God poured out for us. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the victory of God over everything. The revelation of steadfast love that endures forever, love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And Jesus is the son of David that builds the sanctuary of the Lord. And not only can you stand in that sanctuary, you are that sanctuary. Just think of it. You are God's sanctuary. First Peter 2, 4, come to him, to that living stone, rejected by men, but in God's sight chosen and precious, and like living stones be yourselves built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Last time we talked about those puzzle pieces, remember? And how Christ has made us each like a piece in a puzzle that when put together is a picture of him. He's made us members of his body living stones in the temple that houses his spirit. You see, that's why he entered the ancient stone temple and cried out, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And scripture tells us that he was speaking of the temple of his body. In other words, he was speaking of you. So he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. They knew that the life was in the blood, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. When we, the members, gather to worship Jesus, to remember Jesus, do you see that we actually remember his body? His body comes together and he fills it with what? His blood. 
and I've seen it. I wish we had time to talk about it, but his blood is fire. It burns away evil and is itself the unquenchable good. When we come together, you see, we form a container, a sanctuary. We surrender the fuel that is ourselves and we invite the fire that is God. We go through the ritual and wait for the spark. We present our bodies, Romans 12:1, as living sacrifices. This is our spiritual worship, says Paul. You see, Pentecost isn't for just one Sunday. Paul wrote, be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That very first Sunday, it happened in an incredibly dramatic way. Once it happened to me in such a dramatic way. I was at a conference years ago and I had been worshiping, going through the motions for days, hearing sermons like the ones we preach here, singing songs like the songs that we sing here, praying prayers like the prayers that we pray here. And on the last day, I was literally pinned to the floor. I felt like there was a million volts of electricity coursing through my body. I was like a living sacrifice, entirely lost, but entirely found. I've never ever experienced such joy as I did in those moments. But I had this clear impression, such profound joy, and yet I remember thinking to myself very clearly, if he turns it up just an iota, I'll die. I will be destroyed by ecstasy. You see, it was the holy fire. It was absolutely extraordinary. Extraordinary, and yet at the same time, entirely ordinary. In fact, the Holy Spirit revealed to me while it was happening that whenever and wherever I had thought a good thought, worship God in spirit and in truth, or love Jesus just a little bit more than I had before, it was his spirit in me. It was that fire burning in me. Well, I often pray that the Holy Spirit would come in such an extraordinary way here. I mean, that he would just blow our socks off, pin us all to the floor, and I wouldn't have to prepare any more sermons. I, I really do pray that a lot. But I mean, I also really mean it. I, I, I do really hope and pray that he moves in such an extraordinary way, but I know that he likes to move in ordinary ways. I know that he loves it when you draw near to him with whatever faith that you have. For you see, he fills you with the very same fire. It's not a different fire, it's the same fire. So have you ever felt conviction while we were here in worship? I mean, have you ever felt while we're going along like, God, there really is something I need to sacrifice to Jesus that I need to lay down? Have you ever felt attracted to Jesus while we're telling his story? You ever felt some faith, hope, or love as you sing his songs, sing the songs that we sing? Have you ever felt that, a, a little love? That love is eternal fire. He who loves is born of God and knows God. Love is of God. God is love. 
And I know what some of you are thinking, oh, come on, Peter, those are just feelings. Those feelings. They're chemicals in my blood. (laughs) So what? There are always chemicals in your blood. And you say, well, I, I don't know, I'm just, when that happens, I'm just getting psyched up. Well, perhaps the rest of your life, you're getting psyched down. You know, as long as you have a body, there will be chemicals in your blood. And as long as you have a brain, you will be psyched in one direction or another. According to scripture, there is a spirit or spirits of this age, of the air, and there is also a spirit, the spirit from God that is God. We live in this world surrounded by the spirits of this age. These spirits psych you out and they change the chemistry in your blood. There is a spirit of this world, but when we get together and form the sanctuary, we invite the spirit of God. See, the spirit of this world sings a song that is not really a song. It's a dirge. The spirit tells you that death is the end. That mercy has its limits. That love will finally fail. And that the great void is the ultimate reality. And so fear is the way. The spirit of this world is a lie. It's a lie that we swim in each and every day. But the spirit of God is truth and love. Deeper than death and beyond the void is the fire of love, the substance of God. Darkness, death, and evil, you see, come to an end. But love is the song that never ends. It's the song that never ends. Even if you started singing it, not knowing what it was, it's the song that never ends. And you can surrender to it now and start to dance. For you see, that song is the deepest truth and the ultimate reality, the logos. We can't comprehend it with our heads, but, when, but we can surrender to it with our hearts, surrender to him with our hearts. We, we can fall in love with Jesus. In fact, we can only fall in love with Jesus. So well, what am I saying? I'm saying if you wake up some Sunday morning and you say to yourself, I'm not going to church today because I don't feel like worshiping. Well, of course you don't feel like worshiping. You swim in a world of lies. Of course you don't feel like dancing. You're singing the wrong song. And if you say, well, I'll just be going through the motions. I don't have the right motives. Of course you don't have the right motives. That's why you need to come and go through the right motions with the mustard seed of of faith that you've already got. I mean, I do believe you got it because if you didn't have it, you wouldn't even be here. You wouldn't even be asking the question with the mustard seed of faith that that you've already got. Come surrender your motives and go through the motions, offer your fake kiss and pray for a real kiss. In other words, build the sanctuary, lay the sacrifice on the altar and pray for the fire. So this is the sanctuary. And here's the altar. Let's have some fire. (laughs) Well, (laughs) 
Maybe not. Or maybe so. I mean, if you are uh, older than junior high, you've been sitting here this whole time staring at this altar, thinking, <laughs> thinking to yourself, Peter, come on, please, please don't light that fire. And I'm not. Because this is not the fuel. And no spark can light the eternal fire. This is not the fuel. You're the fuel. Get it? Now the fire. From the night, that night, the morning, the beginning of that day, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. You become his body. And now the fire. In the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Do you understand? Jesus sacrifices himself for you. He offers himself to you. And now he hopes that you would offer yourself to him. He burns with love for you. And he wants you to burn with love for him. He wants you to worship with everything, with everything that you've got. And let him fill those empty places with fire. Do you understand that if you were to truly see it now, you'd fall down in terror. And so he's breathing it into you. In this world, every service, every moment, filling you with this fire because one day you will be a creature of fire. You will be filled with all the fullness of God. So we invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cups. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice, they're both fire. And as you come forward, worship with everything you've got, okay? In other words, don't let this be empty ritual, but do it in remembrance of him. Surrender your heart to him, and he will fill you. He said, my father's a good father. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, he won't give you a stone. He'll give you his spirit. So let's worship in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Lord God, in so many ways, I hate this world because it is so dark. But, Lord God, I thank you for placing us here so that we can see the light in the dark, so that we can see the victory of your love, your love that endures forever. And so, Lord God, you have called us together as your sanctuary. And now, Lord God, we pray that you would fill us with your fire. 
I thank you that you are filling us with your fire. I thank you that you will fill us with your fire. I don't know exactly how you're going to do it, Father. I mean, I'd love the knockdown kind of thing. But however you do it, do it. Set us on fire with your love. Fill our sails with your spirit. Cause us, Lord God, to go out of this place singing the song that does not end and begins in this world, even right here. And so, Lord God, fill us with courage because we know the end. We know that you conquer and that you are the end and that we are your people and your steadfast love endures forever. Verse three, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. King Solomon offered as sacrifice 22,000 oxen. Do you know how much hamburger that is, 22,000 oxen? I mean, especially if you're living in a bronze society, that's dinner. I mean, that's like, that's like the president just blowing up the Navy in joy, okay? All right, so 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. You see what happened? God sends his sacrifice. They respond in kind with their sacrifice and it's like a spontaneous combustion, a chemical reaction of love. And in the same way, in the New Testament, the fire falls upon the sanctuary of the temple. And you remember what happened? They all begin speaking in tongues and all the languages of the people round about the wonderful works of God and the fire spreads until it reaches this sanctuary this morning here today. And so let's surrender to the Lord. Let's build the sanctuary. Let's surrender our hearts and always invite the fire. In fact, uh, tonight, you know, we have a second service and we do that largely because at the end, the band just keeps playing. And the idea is that we would work at inviting the fire. And so if you want to come back and uh, do that individually, together as a group, we invite you um, to do that. But uh, he is um, the Lord of love. And he has made us his bride, his people. And he longs to fill us with fire. Don't be afraid of the fire. It's really good. In Jesus' name believe the gospel. That's what I'm saying.